Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mine community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And we have a returning guest today um, who appeared back in December 2021, so just over 14 months ago, uh, which was episode 195. Richard Williams is the CEO of Cornish Metals, who are dual listed uh, on the TSX and AIM, um, who are a company focusing on the advancing of the South Crofty high-grade underground tin project through to delivery of a feasibility study, as well as exploring additional mineral rights uh, located in Cornwall, which is southwest of the UK. Uh, the company have rights, uh, mineral rights, uh, for potential discovery of tin, copper, lithium, tungsten, zinc, and silver mineralization. Uh, Richard is a professional geologist by trade and has over 30 years experience in the mining and mineral exploration sector, uh, principally working in Southern Africa, as well as South and Central America. Um, he also serves on the board of Windshear Gold Corp, an exploration company with uh, a gold project in Peru. Um, he's here today to give us an update on Cornish Metals um, and what is happening in the UK mining industry, plus many other things. So that's welcome, Richard, to the podcast. How are you doing, Richard? Very good, Rob. Uh, good to be back. It's it's hard to believe it's so long since the last one. Yeah, fourteen months ago, which uh, obviously has uh, flown past. Um, and obviously, a lot of things have happened since then. So, um, for those that didn't listen to the previous episode, I just wondered if you can give our audience just a, a brief overview of your background, um, and then uh, and also if you can t- tell us about Cornish Cornish Metals as well before we go into uh, some more questions. Sure. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned earlier, uh, I'm a geologist, uh, grew up in the UK, uh, but spent most of my career initially in Southern Africa, then South America, Central America, back to Africa, um, and then joined a company called Strongbow Exploration in 2015. And the focus for Strongbow was to look for high quality, advanced tin projects in good jurisdictions. Uh, there aren't many, and the best one that we found was South Property in Cornwall. So we acquired, uh, as you mentioned, the South Property Project plus, plus additional mineral rights in 2016. Um, we completed a listing on AIM in 2021. And last year, a big transformational event for the company. We raised just over £40 million pounds, um, principally to advance the South Property Tin Project. So it's been a very busy period since we last spoke and uh, happy to give everybody an update here. Yes, yeah, certainly. One you can give us a, a, a quick overview and update on the South Property Project. Sure, well, South so Property itself, um, an iconic mine in Cornwall. Uh, first recorded production was in 1592 and operated continually up until its closure in 1998. Uh, The last 90, 95 years of the mine life was principally as a tin mine, and that's what we're focused on. So you've got these near-surface, high-grade copper veins that were exploited from 1592 up until the turn of the 20th century, and then up until 98, 
um, focused on the underlying tin mineralization. The thing that really attracted us to the project was that um, between 2003 and 2013, uh, the owners at the time were successful in uh, securing a new mining license called an underground permission, which is valid until 2071, uh, and also full planning permission to uh, construct a new process plant. And since we acquired the project, we've now secured the environmental permits to dewater the mine. And so it's full steam ahead. Uh, you know, right now we're building a water treatment plant. We're looking to dewater the mine, complete a feasibility study, um, and then make a production decision in the next uh, year and a half, two years. Um, you mentioned, obviously, you recently raised uh, £40 million pounds, uh, in May last year, 2022. Um, who was led... Uh, who was the sort of lead investor uh, and why did they like uh, sort of Cornish Metals and South Crofty? So there's a, there's a new fund um, that was, um, I, I guess, set up a couple of years ago called Vision Blue Resources. And the uh, the leader of the fund is Sir Mick Davis, who was the CEO of Extrada, obviously one of the world's biggest uh, multi-commodity mining companies. Uh, Vision Blue is focused on energy transition metals. And we were the fourth investment that they'd made. They have investments in, in graphite, silicon, vanadium. Um, and what they liked about tin, obviously, is tin's kind of ubiquitous use throughout anything to do with the electronics world, renewable power, computing, robotics, so pretty much essential to this whole energy transition. And so they, they looked at the project. Uh, they spent a number of months uh, doing some uh, their own internal due diligence, looking at the resource that we had, the potential uh, for a long life mining operation. So obviously the potential to expand the current resource uh, and also to look at the community aspect and make sure that, you know, the community support was there and we had the social license to operate. And, you know, we, we kind of ticked all the boxes there and uh, they led the financing, which closed last May. Um, they invested £25 million and own around 26% of the company today. Uh, but in total, we raised just over £40 million. As I mentioned, that's principally to dewater the mine and complete a feasibility study. And what kind of influence does Vision Blue and obviously Mick Davis and his team, what kind of uh, influence do they have in, in the company and in the project? Or are they just sitting as, I suppose, silent partners? No, look, it's a very collaborative effort. They've got a very strong technical team that uh, obviously we can rely on for different aspects of project advancement. Uh, they have one nomination to the board of directors, which is a chap by the name of Tony Treyer, who was formerly CEO of Anglo-American. So again, uh, a long track record of, of managing much bigger companies than, than Cornish Metals is today. Uh, but I think you know the, the longer term view of Vision Blue and ourselves is to grow the company. Um, we have a technical committee which um, we meet regularly to discuss development and advancing the project and they've got a, a nominee on the board so you know active shareholders but very much a team effort um, Are you still on track for the commencement of the uh, dewatering of the mine um, in the middle of the year? Yes everything's going well we've um, you know over the last year we've expanded significantly as a team I think about uh, about a year ago, we had about eight people on site down in South Crofty. Uh, today, I think the numbers are around 36 
direct employees on site and on any given day, anywhere between 15 and 25 contractors uh, assembling different parts of the water treatment plant, uh, putting on all the pipe work from the shaft to the water treatment plant uh, and all of the ancillary work that, that goes uh, with that. So, you know, it's, it's very active currently and, and as things stand today, we're on target for commissioning in May, June and uh, start pumping by the middle of this year. Uh, obviously, you mentioned uh, staffing um, and obviously being where you're situated. Um, what's your relationship with the Campbell School Mines and do you sort of encourage some of their graduates to come down and visit visit the site? Actually, a number of, number of our employees are all Campbell School of Mines graduates. Um, no, it's, it's a very strong relationship. You know, we're obviously... Uh, very supportive of what Campbell School of Mines brings to the mining industry, you know, developments in new mining techniques, new mineral processing technologies. Um, so, yeah, we're always hosting students from Campbell School of Mines to do different aspects of, of underground work or geological work, looking at the core that we generate from the drill program that's ongoing currently. Uh, in fact, we had a visit by you know, the vice chancellor of Exeter University and, and other members of Exeter University just over a week ago. So, you know, it's, again, it's it's a very strong relationship and uh, we hope to continue for a long time yet. Um, what's the timeline to production for the site? As it stands today, we, we were looking at a four-year timeline from when we raised the money uh, last May. So, you know, another three, three and a bit years from today, end of, End of 26 is the target. If we can, we're looking at all ways to try and compress that timeline, but that's that's the objective at the moment. Um, how has the tin price been uh, performing uh, over the last year? Um, and what do you what, how do you see the outlook? And I'm not asking obviously for any price predictions, but how do you see uh, the tin price moving over the course of this year? It's an interesting question because, you know, tin has had quite a volatile year. Uh, a year ago, uh, leading up to when we raised the money with Vision Blue, tin went as high as $50,000 a ton. And towards the end of last year, went down as low as $17,500 a ton. So, you know, massive swings. Uh, a lot of that was to do with slowdowns and, and shutdowns in China and decreases in demand. Uh, also coupled with uncertainty over, you know, the global economy, inflation, all of these kind of things. But, you know, one, one of, and, and it's rebounded right now in the kind of twenty six to $30,000 a ton range, which I think on the longer term, that's where most analysts are forecasting over the next five to 10 years is somewhere in the 30,000 US a ton. And that's really driven by, again, this whole energy transition and, and one of the big catalysts, I think, over the last year has been, you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which has really sped up governments throughout Europe, uh, looking at ways that they can generate alternative sources of power, whether it be uh, through wind turbines or solar power, uh, power storage. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, tin is, is used in all of those aspects. So we just see demand for tin growing. Uh, there aren't that many projects out there that can meet the projected demand. If you look at the International Tin Association, their prediction for 2030 is around 550, 500 to 550,000 tons of tin per year uh, in demand, which is 130 to 170,000 tons a year more than current production levels. And 
you know, South Crofty, uh, if we get into production, is going to produce four and a half, five thousand tons of tin per year. So you would need at least 20 new South Crofties to come online to, to meet that projected demand. Um, so we, we are very, uh, we're very bullish on the tin price. Um, you know, as I said, it's, it's ubiquitous throughout the electronics world. So it's not just related to battery technology. It's, you know, it's computing, it's power generation, power storage, robotics. Uh, one of the biggest growth areas for tin in the last couple of years is, is a product called Solar Ribbon, which is the copper wire that runs through all of the solar panels, and that's coated in tin to protect it from, from the elements. And, you know, again, with the drive towards new power generation opportunities and, and demand for solar panels, that just transfer, translates to an increased demand for tin. You mentioned, obviously, the price fertility going up and down. Um, how does that affect uh, profitability, costs, etc., running a business if it is quite volatile? It's different types of tin deposits. Obviously, you get large, low-grade, open-pit type deposits. Then you get the narrow, high-grade underground opportunities like South Crofty. Um, you know, the average grade of our resource at South Crofty is around 1.6% tin, which, you know, for every tonne of rock, that's about 35 pounds of tin. And the current tin prices of, say, $12, $13 a pound, um, you're looking at close to $400 per tonne rock value. And we estimate in the PEA that we did in 2017, and I should qualify this, that PEA has now been superseded by a more up-to-date uh, mineral resource estimate we published. But the original PEA uh, looked at a mining, processing, all-in cost of operations of around $110, $120 a tonne. And so there's a pretty healthy margin in there. So for us, uh, being a high-grade opportunity, I think there's there's a cushion there. Um, you know, if you've got a large, lower-grade operation, sometimes price, it's it's more sensitive to price movement. Um, you uh, announced a new discovery called the Wild, uh, sorry, the Wide Formation in January 2023. What the implication of uh, of this discovery? Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting one. Um, you know, you've got the South Crofty mine itself, which was really the heart of the central mining district in Cornwall. And just immediately south of the South Crofty mine is a hill called Carnbray, which is a granite outcrop. And on the south side of Carnbray is another mining district called the Great Flatlow, which is today... Uh, a UNESCO World Heritage Site um, commemorating the contribution of mining to, you know, the growth in economies around the world, really, and the innovation and ingenuity that uh, Cornish mining engineers uh, developed in Cornwall and then exported to other mining districts globally. Now, down at the Great Flatload, there was um, a small amount of drilling conducted in the 1960s, which went beneath the Great Flatload and intersected a wide zone of uh, alteration, veining, mineralization that look very similar to some of the high-grade prolific uh, load systems at South Crofty. Um, but nobody followed up on that. And we came across this data and we thought, okay, let's put in a deep hole and beneath uh, the great flat load. And we drilled one hole and it returned three meters of almost 1% tin. 
which is eminently mineable, uh, widths and grades. And it's only a kilometre south of the decline entrance at South Crofty. Now, if it's anything like the mineralized structures that we see at South Crofty and or the Great Flat Load, they have tremendous lateral extent. Um, the Great Flat Load was mined pretty much continually over about a five kilometer distance from uh, southeast to northwest. Sorry, uh, southwest to northeast, got to get that right. Um, and similarly at South Crofty, when you look at, you know, the Dol Coth mine and, and uh, Cook's Kitchen and Tincroft and some of the big loads at South Crofty, Similarly, you can trace these structures for kilometers. Now, if the wide formation, which looks like a very well-developed structure, is similar to these, you're looking at the potential for what we think could be a whole new district-scale target. Um, the, the drill holes that were done in the 60s are about two kilometers southwest of the drill hole that we, we put in. Um, and if you take the overlying Great Flat Lord, you've got a target that could be three, four kilometers long, uh, it's never been mined. It's never been drilled off. Uh, it's got O-grade intercepts in it. Um, so you know, we, we're very excited about it. And the beauty of it is it's so close to South Crofty that you know, if it does hang together, you can probably develop directly from South Crofty underground to get access to it. And we see it as potential not only to expand the current resource base we've got, but maybe expand the production profile and actually have uh, more tin output in the future. What's your relationship with the local community um, and also Cornwall Council? I have to say it's very good. Um, you know, that was one of the first things we looked at when we first went to the project because South Crofty is pretty much in the middle of the town, uh, Poole, Camborne, uh, urban environment. Uh, you've got light industry surrounding us. There are residential areas nearby. Uh, we felt that one of the biggest risk aspects is, you know, I mentioned the word term earlier, social license. And you can get all the permits in the world, but if you don't have community support to, to see the mine go into production, uh, you've got a pretty long battle ahead of you. And so the first thing we did back in 2015-16 was engage with local parish council, local community, introduce the company, and we've had nothing but support from, from everybody to see this project move forward. You know, it, it really is an important historical aspect, uh, part of the fabric of, of the character of Poole and Camborne, uh, the South Crofty mine. And the towns have really gone into a state of uh, deprivation uh, since the mine closed in, in 1998. And the opportunity, I think, to generate, you know, a couple of hundred, two, three hundred new direct jobs at the mine site, plus, you know, maybe a thousand or more indirect jobs on the supply side would be a tremendous boost to not only the local community, but the regional uh, economy throughout Cornwall. And that's translated right up to, you know, the senior staff at Cornwall Council, uh, who again have been very supportive. Cornwall has been designated what's called a HPO, High Potential Opportunity Region, by UK central government uh, for the potential to delineate some of these new critical minerals that uh, are on the list that the UK government published in July last year. So I can't, I can't put it too lightly, but we've got tremendous support from the local community. And I think South Crofty and Cornwall has a big role to play in contributing to the UK's needs for some of those critical minerals. How important is it domestically uh, to obviously to have domestic supply uh, for these critical, cr critical minerals, essentially for the green transition? 
uh, obviously particularly from the Cornwall area, um, obviously with a uh, which is a place rich in history. Well, it, it, it's essential. I think again, what we've seen over the last year, following on from Russia, Ukraine, is a move away from globalization, almost deglobalization, where you've got uh, different regions. You know, for instance, Canada, the US, the UK, Europe, Australia, uh, trying to form pacts where, you know, they can each work with each other to source some of the critical minerals that they need. Because as it stands today, China dominates the world when it comes to these critical minerals. Uh, 75% of all the tin mined today comes out of three countries, China, Myanmar and Indonesia. Um, there's no primary tin production in Europe. There's some secondary tin from some of the tungsten mines in Portugal and Spain. Uh, there's no tin production at all in North America or Canada. So, you know, it very much is a critical mineral to those economies if you want to have independence and downstream manufacturing capacity. We, we, we've all seen what, you know, the U.S. has done over the last year with the Inflation Reduction Act, where they've recognized the issues that they faced with uh, sourcing some of the critical minerals they need. And, you know, the U.S.'s answer to that is to throw a lot of money at the problem uh, and fix the problem. And you've seen investments into supplying low-cost power, uh, investments into having downstream manufacturing of semiconductors. Um, and I, I think you're going to see the EU go that way, where tariffs are going to be imposed on products that source materials from outside of the EU um, or outside of Europe. And that's where the opportunity lies here is, you know, South Crofty could produce enough tin or Cornwall could produce sufficient tin to to meet all of the UK's needs, but also a good chunk of, of Europe's needs. And again, that's where I think the opportunity is for, for Cornwall. Obviously, you mentioned earlier about the undersupply of tin. Um, where else is there tin available, I suppose, around the world? Or, and, and, and again, I suppose, looking at the UK, is there a lot more tin in the UK that maybe not necessarily discover, being discovered yet? Well, outside of the three countries I mentioned earlier, China, Myanmar, Indonesia, um, the three richest mines in the world are actually, uh, number one is in uh, DRC in Africa, that's called BC. Um, it, it's a recent, I wouldn't say it's a recent discovery, it's been known a long time, but it was recently put into production. And that currently produces around 12,000 tonnes of tin per year. And they are looking to expand that production to 20,000 tonnes of tin per year. That's the highest grade tin deposit in the world. Uh, following that, there's the San Rafael mine in Peru, which is operated by a company called Minsur, Peruvian mining company. Uh, San Rafael uh, is currently, operations are suspended because of the social unrest in, in Peru at the moment. And that's having an impact, again, on, on tin price. Um, and then... There's a project called um, Renison Bell in Tasmania, which is operated by an Australian company called Mandos X. They're all high-grade underground operations. Um, South Crofty has got many geological similarities to Mincer's San Rafael mine. Um, they're the main contributors to tin supply outside of China, Myanmar, Indonesia. Now, Cornwall itself is an enormous tin province. It's one of the world's great tin provinces. And, you know, what we see as, you know, the, the outcome of any success that we have is that it will attract further investment to look at other areas 
of exploration potential to find new deposits in Cornwall. I think the message that comes out of the work that we've been doing is that Cornwall is open for business. Uh, you can actually advance projects through discovery, uh, permitting, uh, get community support as long as it's done correctly. There are some other companies in Cornwall currently looking for, for tin. Um, but, you know, we, we're ahead of the game because we've got the mine permit, we've got the planning permission, we've got the environmental permits. But, you know, I, I really think Cornwall uh, can contribute a lot more than what just South Property has currently. Yes, certainly, certainly. Um, and concluding, what's the outlook for South Crofty and Cornish Metals as a, as a company for the uh, remainder of the year? Well, I think we're all very excited about the work that's going on currently and uh, eagerly anticipating the day when we can turn the pumps on and start dewatering the mine. Um, we are trying to compress that timeline to production. So we actually started a feasibility study last year. We've got three drill rigs currently active on the project, collecting samples for metallurgical test work, paste backfill studies, all sorting studies. That's kind of a new technology where you can separate waste from all before it goes to the mill. If that's successful, then you have a smaller mill, lower, lower power consumption costs. Uh, so they're ongoing. Um, you know, through the balance of this year, uh, we will look to do some drilling at, uh, at the wide formation to expand on on the current knowledge and see what the real potential is there. So I think lots of news to come and uh, exciting times ahead. Yes, certainly. Richard, really appreciate your time uh, coming onto the podcast. Give us an update on uh, South Crofty. Um, it's great for the UK mining industry uh, and it seems to have a little bit of a, a resurgence um, and obviously your testament of, of that with South Crofty. If our um, audience wants to reach out to you, if they've got any questions, if they want to follow, obviously, uh, the progress, how can, they go, uh, how can they go about doing that? What social media platforms are you on? Well, we're, obviously, we've got a website, cornishmetals.com. Um, we're on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, again, Cornish Metals, easy, easy enough to find. Uh, on the website, we've got... Uh, in, uh, Sorry, email um, addresses. If anybody wants to send in any queries or questions, uh, more than happy to to answer them. Um, and then we 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 do try to host one or two site visits every year for interested shareholders, uh, people who want to see what's going on. So if you are interested in in attending one of those, um, by all means, send an email to us and put your name on the list. Obviously, we're limited to numbers, but um, you know we'll we'll try to give people as much advance notice as possible and try to accommodate wherever we can yeah great here well we can include those in the show notes accompanying this uh podcast so uh for easy access so yeah welcome to uh, any of our audience wants to uh have a visit and obviously you can get in contact with uh richard and his team um like i said really appreciate your time wish you well for the the remainder of the of the year uh for those that are listening Appreciate your continued support. Please share this episode, um, especially if you're living in the in the UK, um, where you can share this amongst not just people within the mining industry, but people outside of the mining industry to show that there is there is mining here in the UK, um, and it's an educational tool as well. Obviously, tin's needed for the green the green revolution um, moving forward, and obviously, South Crofty is a is a mine that is going to be producing some of that tin. For, for especially the UK market. So appreciate your continued support. And until next time, 
happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.